We have some work to do. We're talking about the names of Jesus in Scripture. I agree. that She's not bothering me at all, by the way. <laughs> not a bit of it. If there are babies making noise, it means your church has a future. Right? We want mamas. Yes. In fact, at this church, you can even address this church, young lady. Uh, yes, you can. Your voice is welcome here. Uh, let's, let's start with, with uh, a little-known book. We've looked at it a few months ago. Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The name there might have slipped by you. The name for the coming Savior, the coming Lord that owns all things and will shake the nations is called the desire of all nations. It's heat index of 100 or so outside, has been for about a month, and so, obviously, it's time to decorate the shops for Christmas. Because <laughs> what you want is a rather, shall we say, heavyset man in thick red stuff uh, to sit in the middle of a room of children. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Christmas is coming and, and now the commercials start. This is what a perfect gift will be. And sometimes it'll be a razor and sometimes it'll be that absurd one where there's a Mercedes with a bow on it. Out and you, really? Really? Thanks for blowing the curve for the rest of us on that one. <laughs> but it's all about this is what they really want. A long time ago, a guy named Maslow studied needs and how we uh, come upon what we think we need and how we move, and he had a whole hierarchy of needs. And he used an illustration of, let's say, an airline pilot, and we're going to make this one a guy. There are, there are female ones as well. This one's a guy, and he's at the top of his profession. Let's say he's top of the pilots. He's flying along the best chosen route. Everything's going great, uh, going great. and then the engines start to give trouble. Now, when he was two minutes ago, his needs were a new sports car, uh, a better vacation. His needs were all of those. Now his needs are survival. He has changed needs very quickly. He's dropped down the hierarchy. He's going to have to move back up eventually. If he gets it under control, he can move back up. When the chips are down, we realize what we really, really want. Did you look at your newspaper this morning? Some of you don't want to hear any bit of news at all, and I understand that. I, I watch the news and I read the newspapers. Uh, while some might panic, I look at it and think, oh, job security, because uh, these people need a minister. Um, some of you on Facebook are battling evil by changing your, pro, your, your uh, profile picture to different flags when, when a place is hit. Nothing wrong with that, but if you did it honestly, you'd have to change it every day. There's Libya, Morocco, Nigeria, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, all the terrorist strikes in France and Germany, even those here and in Sweden, the UK. You'd have to be changing your flag profiles pretty fast. Some, yes, 
travel the world to spread pain. But most people are desperate for a bit of peace. There's a, a thing in Europe, and it's really hard to describe. By the way, I'm off notes for a minute. Don't panic. Well, you might want to panic. Uh, off notes for a bit. Uh, it's called the European Song Contest. And it's a way for Europe to unite. And what it does is every country works all year long on uh, having contests within the country about the song they're going to present at the, con- uh, at, the, uh, at the big one, the contest at the end. Um, they, they all work it up, and then they all arrive, and it's all done with pizzazz and style over a few different nights. And it's, it's a big deal in Europe. And they always, because it's done by committee, tend to get a weird vanilla-type song that nobody cares about. But we were there in the 80s. Now, some of you weren't alive in the 80s, and thank God for that. Thank God for that. <laughs> it was a time of, of um, crimped hair and baggy jeans, and, and it, it, was, it, was, it was horrible to behold. Um, and there were, there were spandex. Ooh, don't the spandex. Um, and glitter, glitter everywhere. Um, and so the stage at that time... Uh, it, was, it was all strobe lights and colors and rainbow spandex and, and fog machines and people being lowered, each one getting more bizarre than another. And then Germany's time for a song came. And out walks this young lady. Young lady in a black evening gown, long blonde hair, classical guitar. There's a stool and she climbs on it. And we keep looking at each other going, all right, when do the monkeys fall out of the loft? Uh, there, there's got to be something going on here. Uh, you know, what's, what's she going to do? Is that thing going to, you know, the dress going to come off or the like? Because this was the 80s. And she started singing. And she was singing in German. And I don't speak German. So I didn't know what was going on. But I could hear the crowd. And you could hear sighs of relief. Oh, in the crowd. And then she sang in French. And I, I know enough French to where I could understand what she was saying. And I went... Oh, and Cammie said, what? And I said, I bet she gets to English. Just wait. And all the song was, the name of the song was A Little Peace. And it was just, that's all we really want. It's just a little peace. There was no other backup, no other band, no dancing. And she won the contest big time. Because really what we want, getting back to the notes now, is peace. We want some peace in our life. We want hope. We want some food. We want some freedom. We want room. We're looking for a hero. Unfortunately, we settle for less. We settle for a new razor, a new iPad, a new couch, a new president, when really what we need is a hero. No wonder we're not satisfied. We're, we're going to the wrong place to be satisfied. It's rather like if you've had your mouth all geared up for a Sprite, let's say, or 7-Up or whatever beverage of your choice, and you take a sip, and it's not Sprite. You thought it was Sprite, but it's water. Now, there's nothing wrong with water except for what fish do in it and that sort of thing, but there, um, if you were expecting Sprite and you get water, do you know what you do with that? It's kind of like, oh, hmm, i got to talk myself into swallowing this now. If you go to the store to fulfill your needs, you're going to the wrong place. If you go to the ballot box to fulfill your need for a hero, you're going to the wrong place. No wonder we're not satisfied. No wonder our needs multiply. People need friendship and love and companionship. And when they don't have it, what do they do? They often eat. 
and yet they're unsatisfied because that's not what they were hungry for. They weren't hungry for food. They were hungry for fellowship and friendship. We need to sometimes stop ourselves and say, what do we really want? And what are we really hungry for? Many of us give lip service to wanting the noble things. I don't watch Miss America contest type stuff. I've always thought that was dead boring, but you know, some people enjoy it. Fair enough, that's, that's all right. But you ask any of the contestants what they want, and I can already tell you what they're going to say. World peace. That coming from the mouth of a 19-year-old that would kill for a sash and a bouquet at that point. <laughs> we give lip service, but we, we sell out for something a lot less than we say we want. We want love, but we settle for sex. We want meaning, but we settle for money, possession, better fame. In the middle of all this, we have churches. And churches will say, we're here for Jesus, and yet sometimes it seems that they're mainly there for themselves. We're mainly there for ourselves. We're church. We can say it that way. Jesus said something very scary in John 12, 32. Let's get that up. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Let's hold that verse up there for a moment. Uh, 2,000 years later, right? Are all people drawn to Jesus? So, we have two options. Either Jesus was wrong, or what we've been lifting up isn't Jesus. We've been lifting up something else and calling it Jesus. And that's terrifying, isn't it? That's absolutely terrifying. Just like water and government, everything tends to flow downhill. Everything moves from the exalted to the, the uh, degenerate, from holy to secular, from sacred and sublime to trivial. Think about it this way. The second commandment. No, don't make any graven image. Now, some of you might think at the foot of Mount Sinai when Aaron created the, the golden calf that that was a violation of the second commandment, but it wasn't. It was a violation of the first. You see, in Exodus 32 and verse 5, Aaron didn't say, this cow saved you. It's, he says, this is the God, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. He wasn't trying to replace Jehovah. He was just trying to see him. He was just trying to put him in a package that was understandable. Jeroboam would do much the same thing in the northern kingdom a few generations later. You see, people don't really want another God. They just want a God that they can see. Something convenient. Something practical. Something manageable. They want the transcendent, the mystical, and the divine in one neat, controllable package. And that's not how transcendence works. It just isn't. So they chose a symbol that they all understood. It seems a bit strange to us. Let's all go worship the cow. But that's because we're not a desert people who are not at all guaranteed our next meal. The cow gave life, clothing, security, riches, because it lived you lived. They used the cow as a visual representative, uh, representation of the love of God. This is what the love of God looks like. So we're going to worship this. 
that God does not fit in any box. And he cannot be made into an image that would adequately represent him. He is bigger than our boxes. They wanted to make the unpredictable God predictable, the uncontrollable God controllable, the incomparable God into something known, defined, ordinary. But God cannot be controlled even by religion. A few years ago, there was a real hot book out there that said, we found this secret prayer in the Bible. And if you, uh, if you just say this prayer, God basically has to bless you. Just going to pour out the storehouses of heaven. That's not how it works. God's not a cosmic vending machine. You don't have to hit the right combination. Just feed the dollar in right and it'll take it this time. That's not God. But churches have always done that to God. They try to reduce him to somebody who likes what we like, thinks what we think, and agrees with us. By the way, when you're convinced that God thinks just like you do and wants what you want, you might gain power over other people, but you will never gain peace because you're still worshiping something with a human face. You've created God in your own image. As one philosopher long ago said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and since then, man has returned the favor. We try to put our strings on him and make him dance to our tunes, but remember what Jesus said. He said, you played the music and I did not dance, and you told me to cry, and I didn't cry. He is not at our control. We even write books on how to get God to do, do what you want him to do. If you don't believe me, go to a Christian bookstore. Bookstores. Um, that's a store that has books in it. There are some still available to go see. If not, you can go to a virtual one online. But regardless, if you go, and it'll say, you know, 50 powerful prayers or 50 this. Or, but we also do it another way. We have churches where we say if we do the ritual exactly right, we get everything right at the end. But we have to get it all right. Well, I can remember growing up, we always had an elder that would stand by the baptistry to make sure they went all the way under. And in our church, that meant the hair too. And in the 60s and 70s, there were some long-haired people. And so they would even work it around in a hand to make sure it went all the way under. Because I guess you'd be bald for eternity. I'm not really sure what happens in that, in that situation. But, and again, it was done sincerely. It was done because they felt that that's what God wanted. But they had traded God for a magic act. You see, in a magic act, you've got to do everything exactly right to get the bunny out of the hat. And we, we've turned God and his church into that. We have to do everything exactly right. Later today, my daughter asked if we could come over and babysit the three grandsons. Cammie started the car and was backing out before my daughter was finished asking. <laughs> I said, sure. I'm not going to walk into my, where my grandsons are and say, if you do everything exactly right, you will please me. They don't really have much concern about doing everything right because they already know I'm pleased walking in the door and I'll be pleased walking out the door because they're mine. We're in a relationship. That's the thing. It's a relationship, not a ritual. It is God. It is a dance with the Almighty. 
And so what happens? Churches bind the easy stuff, the external. You've heard me say it so many times. Which is harder? Repent and be baptized or lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Oh, come on, baptism's easy. So what do we talk about? Baptism. God says, no, it's, it's more complicated than this. And when we variously and viciously and desperately defend our minimums, our set of minimums, we wonder why the church doesn't attract the world. It's because they're not attracted to a ritual. They want to dance, a dance with the transcendent. I fear it is not Jesus who we have been raising, and that's why they have not yet come. It's not a program. I, I, yesterday morning, I was standing at the counter typing away again, and Cammie would come by and say, what are you doing? I'm saying, I'm helping this preacher over there. Then the next time I'm helping this preacher over there. People write in, they'll say, what do we do? You know, I was fired. Or what do we do? The church is dying. What do we do? The... And many of them are looking for a program. It's not a program. It's a person. Start living like Jesus. And people will notice. But let's be honest. God has disappointed us a bit. We would rather have had a rule book, wouldn't we? And people will say, no, no, no. Yeah, you do. You would have rather had a Bible that was much more specific, a chapter, at least a chapter on do's and don'ts in singing. Wouldn't that, that would have been helpful, wouldn't it? You know, you may worship to the Lord with two guitars, not three, uh, and the Lord doth not like diminished chords. You know, something like this. We, we, we would have really appreciated, or, uh, you know, another verse saying, and what's wrong with the third verse? Quit skipping the third verse. Uh, um, <laughs> the, um, or would somebody please rewrite the tune to Oh Happy Day? Uh, that's, wouldn't we, wouldn't we, uh, you know, we kid, we laugh, but wouldn't we like, a, so we can know, hey, we're in our lane. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. We're looking for a cow to look at and say we're safe. We're in our lane. Everything's good. And yet, God doesn't have a book, oh, fellowship. A book, oh, how we deal with people in other religions. A book of worship. He didn't do it. He says, love God, love each other. As if that wouldn't keep us busy enough the rest of our lives. But then he gives a how-to. We'll do this very, very quickly. In Romans chapter 14, they're not, not going to be up on the screen. You've got your Bibles on your phones. Uh, you've got your Bibles in your hand printed out, some of you. Uh, you killed trees to get yours, fair enough. Um, they, <laughs> I do too. Uh, that's, that's all right. I, I figure if God's going to destroy the planet, why should I try to save it? Anyway, um, <laughs> kids, kids, kids. <laughs> Mr. Patrick's kidding. He recycles and he, ref yeah, all right, this, this move, moving along, moving along, moving along would be a good idea. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, do not pass judgment on disputable matters. I had a lady once angry at me about something and she was just, and I, so I quoted this. I said, please remember the Bible says do not pass judgment on disputable matters. She goes, this is not disputable. <laughs> so I, I gave her an impromptu grammar lesson, um, I said, if we're disputing it, it is dispute-able. <laughs> it's amazing how few people appreciate impromptu grammar lessons. <laughs> people, almost everything is disputable. 
I can remember driving along once, saw a guy's a bumper sticker. I'd rather push a, a Chevy than drive a Ford. It was a once-in-a-lifetime moment of joy for me because he was pushing it. <laughs> Cammy says, aren't you going to help? Nope, the man's happy. <laughs> Let him live out his faith. Most things are disputable. You know, you should buy that car, you should buy that house, this is the way you should handle your money, this is the... Uh, really? Let's not pass judgment on those things. In fact, verse 3, chapter 14, Romans 14 says, don't pass judgment on somebody whose conscience allows them to do something that your conscience does not allow you to do. Or because their conscience does not allow them to do what we feel we can do. Simple things. It could be raising hands and clapping. It could be having a glass of wine with dinner. It could be having a dance or not dancing. It could be any of these things. You, you live by your conscience before your God and don't be judging other people. That's the rule. Is that easy? Nope. It isn't. I, I was raised in a legalistic family. I'm still a recovering legalist. I, I disapprove of 12 things a day just to stay in practice. It is hard. I'll catch myself going all legalist on something and having it back off, back off. Because verse 3 also says God, is al God has already, not, well, he might, he might. You never know. God loves people. It says he has already accepted the one you're disagreeing with. Verse 4, we're not in a position to judge another who's serving God. In fact, he says he will make that person stand because he loves them. He's already saved the person we're disagreeing with. We should watch ourselves. Sometimes we need to be humbled. I was humbled on Friday. I taught a medical class. Uh, it, we have doctors, we have nursing home administrators, we have uh, psychiatric social workers. It's a big group from various universities. State of Ohio brings them all into one place, Nationwide Convention Center, and that's where they do their continuing medical units courses. I do the neuroscience stuff and the psych stuff. And so I'm there and we're doing neuroscience and psych stuff. I'm looking out and there's red and yellow, black and white in front of me, male and female, all different ages. There were some that were atheists because we talked about faith and its, its role in the process. Uh, there were some, uh, there were three observant Jews because they had the yarmulke on, on top, I could tell. Uh, you, you can't tell unless you have an outer, you know, so I knew that. We had all kinds of different people in the room, and yet we got along famously. On the way to the truck afterwards, about to drive home, it's been a long week. Finally get to come home at the end of it. Walking alongside me is one of the Jewish men. And we're talking, exchanging pleasantries. When he reaches in his pocket and he has a handful of ones and he peels one off and I'm thinking, I don't get tips. <laughs> so, and if I do, a one's a bit of an insult, frankly. <laughs> so I'm not really sure where this is going. And he said, you probably do not know this, but in Judaism we have a tradition. When a good man is going on a journey, we know he will do good at the end of it. And so we give him a token, a little bit of money, and to tell him, go do good. And I was thinking, here's a Jewish man who a lot of Christians would say should be our enemy, who's walking alongside saying, I want to bless you. Which one of us lifted up Christ? Romans 14. Romans 14, verse 5. Don't try to force others to think as we think. 
You've got to be convinced in your own minds. And by the way, here's a psychological rule. The louder you get, the more you doubt your own position. The more you yell, the less you're certain. If you don't believe me, go watch somebody, for example, who's a master of martial arts. They don't walk around with a t-shirt saying, I'm a master of martial arts. They're the last person to swing a fist. Because they're, they don't have anything to prove. They're good. We're all right. You want to call me names? Fair enough. Fine. If you have to yell, it, maybe it's because you don't believe. 14 verse 9. Christ died to save feeble, faulty mankind, not perfect people. So don't mess with his target demographic. Don't be upset with them. That's why there's grace. Verse 10. Our turn to answer God's coming. Remember not to judge more harshly than you want to be judged. That's a general rule. Be as patient with people as you want them to be with you. Be as patient with people as you want God to be with you. Give as much grace to others as you want God to give to you. That'll keep you busy, won't it? That will. Then verse 13. We're commanded not to pass judgment on each other and not to quarrel. Commanded. God did not ask any of us to be guard dogs for the kingdom. He doesn't need our help. He has one, remember in the scripture, there's one angel that kills over 180,000 warriors in one night. God probably doesn't need us to help. He's pretty good at this. Verse 15, you're not here to cause trouble to your brothers and sisters. Verse 19, make every effort to lead to what builds up the other person. Every effort, by the way, was an expression that they used, which was a sporting expression. Paul used a lot of sporting expressions, which meant exertion to exhaustion. Make every effort to build others up. In verse 21, if you have to alter your life to keep another person from falling, alter your life. You're not the standard. You change. In verse 22, you don't need to tell everybody what you think about everything. Well, thank you, Paul, for killing the internet. <laughs> Verse 1, can't judge about disputable matters. And then here, keep whatever you think about stuff to yourself. Well, there, there it goes. We're done. Skipping forward to chapter 15, verse 7, where he ends that sermon. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. I want to give Mark and his team a little bit extra time to get up here. I think the whole band is coming up. And again, what Mark said and what Tony said were absolutely true. Visitors that you walked, you walked in, this is your home. We want you to feel at peace here. We want you to be, feel free to ask questions. We want you to feel free to dance with God here. This is a free place of peace and love. And you are accepted, red and yellow, black and white, regardless of where you come from. We're all heading toward God. But you remember Maslow and his hierarchy of needs and the pilot and how his needs changed all of a sudden? Another psychologist came up with a much different set, a much simpler set. He said that every person needs three things, meaning, intimacy, and responsibility. And he talks about how God created Adam and Eve and gave them meaning, made in the image of God. Intimacy, they were with each other. Responsibility, work in the garden. Well, you and I 
have been given all of those by the presence of Jesus Christ. We have meaning. We are children of God, and we are brothers and sisters of the Messiah. We have been given intimacy. We walk with God, as Melinda said, uh, about the transcendence of our everyday life, about the presence of God, the study that the, the women are going to be doing at Fridays at 4th, and responsibility. You lift him up. I don't know what I did that made the Jewish man think this is a righteous man and he needs to be blessed. But I was more humbled by the blessing than by whatever I did. You be the person that blesses others. You be the person that steps up first and raises up Jesus. Would you stand? For Jesus Christ is all we need. Amen, church? Therefore, Jesus Christ is, as Haggai called him, the desire of all nations. Let's sing.